Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. So today, I, I believe with all my heart that the Lord's given me a word for this church at this season, and really it's one word, and it's the word perhaps. Now, some of the men, uh, after the last time I spoke, um, Pastor BJ had me come that next Saturday and speak to the men, and I shared the follow-up to this message. Before I ever preached this message, I shared the follow-up, which is about perhaps partners, and challenged the men to be a partner with your pastor as he steps out. In, in 2009, a church that I was pastoring, Northside Assembly in Jackson, Tennessee, was struggling. No major divisions or anything like that. We were just in the spiritual mulligrubs. Anybody ever been there? Just, you know, kind of blah. We knew, you know, there was no major sin in the camp that we knew about or anything like that. It just seemed like we were existing. The joy had gone out. And uh, I said, Lord, I need something. I said, I need something personally, because if the pastor's in the mulligrubs, the church is going to be in the mully grubs. You all know what the mully grubs are, right? I don't have to explain that here in East Tennessee, right? You ever, how many ever had the mully grubs? How many aren't truthful? Okay, all right. So anyhow, the Lord always meets your needs. When you get hungry, God will always bring something into your life to speak to you. And so I was listening to a podcast from the Bible college that I attended, Central Bible College, and uh, Dr. Jim Bradford, who was the National Secretary of the Assemblies of God at the time, was speaking, and he preached out of this verse. And this verse jumped off the, jumped off the computer and into my heart. 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 6. Jonathan said to his young armor-bearer, "'Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps,' everybody say perhaps.'" Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. The, the message lodged in my spirit. You ever had one of those words where you knew maybe, every, maybe somebody else got something out of the message, but you knew it was God speaking to you? Well, that's the way this message was. And I began to pray about it, and I began to listen to it over and over and over. Every time we'd get in the car, I'd listen to it. Finally, after about the 20th time, Nancy said, if you ever listen to that in this car again, perhaps I won't be with you. And uh, I mean, she'd have, but God was speaking to me. And so I prayed, and I studied, and I read this passage, 1 Samuel 13 and 14, over and over and over. And three or four months later, and the first Sunday of August, 2009, I shared this message with the church. And at the end of this message, I, I shared with them, I said, you know, I feel we always had our annual missions conference the second Sunday of September through the third Sunday, the entire week. We'd have four missionaries come in. They'd be in like 18 different homes having meals with our people. Several hundred people would have interaction with them. And then on that last Sunday, we would... Uh, take faith promises. But the Lord challenged me for this year, 2009, to add in addition to the faith promises, which is what they would give weekly or monthly over the next year, to take a special offering. And I stood there and I'd preached this message and everybody, you could tell the Lord was speaking to our church. And I said, 
And I said, and I believe, I said, perhaps the Lord will allow us to give $30,000 in a cash offering at the end of the convention. And uh, all of a sudden, all those amens just kind of stopped, you know. It's like, we were with you, but now you're challenging us, you know. And after the service, people came up to me and they said, Pastor, do you really believe that we can give, do you think God spoke to you and said that we can give $30,000 in one offering? And I had a one-word answer, perhaps, perhaps. But here's what I knew. If we didn't try, we never would. And we didn't, I didn't have a thus saith the Lord to step out on. I just had a dream in my heart that I felt was from God. I had a lot of questions, a lot of fears, but I was, I was ready to step out. And so I challenged them. So the missions week comes. I, for the next five weeks, I preach on perhaps. The message that I shared with your men was the next week where Jonathan's armor bearer says, I'm with you heart and soul. He got along, he caught the vision. And that's what I'm asking you to do today is come alongside your pastor and say, we believe we can do something powerful for to build Bible schools in Tanzania and over five continents and 50 nations of the world. And, uh, and, and so at the end of the convention, we'd had an incredible week. And at the end of the convention, I preached that morning along with the missionaries. They all shared as part of the service. And we took the offering. And there was no, no sad appeals, no long drawn out, you know, you got to give. We just passed the plate. And uh, that was one Sunday. I always love going to the back door and greeting our people. Always love that. Always getting the hugs and, and encouraging people and them encouraging me. But that day I was like, everybody get out of here because I wanted to go where they were counting the offering to find out what the offering was. I just had that anticipation. Because you see, I had been already been working on two messages for the following week. Then I didn't know which one I'd preach. One was, I told you we could do it. And the other one was, well, at least we tried. You know, and look what God did. We tried. And so I go back to where they're counting the offering. We sent the missionaries to our house where they always came for lunch on that last Sunday and and uh, go back to where they're counting the offering. I said, what was the offering? And they looked at me and they said, $13,000. And I, I, you know, immediately as a pastor, you want to always be encouraging. You don't want to, you know, let show on your face your disappointment. So I went, well, well, praise the Lord. The missionaries that divided among four, that's still over $4,000 a piece. And they'll be excited about that. And they said, oh, no, 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 pastor, we're not done yet. And I went inside, I went, hallelujah. Because, <laughs> I mean, I just, I just wanted to know. I said, I'll go to my office. You come let me know. When they came in a few minutes later, the offering was $36,000 that day. Cash offering. Can we give the Lord praise? I mean, that, that's pretty, pretty exciting. So my question to you and my question to Emmanuel today is this. When is the last time you stepped out on a perhaps? When is the last time you took a risk for God? You attempted something for God that unless God came through, you knew it would be humanly impossible. That we'd never done that. One time we had given 17,000 in a missions, cash missions offering to help build roofs on churches in Kenya, but never $30,000, but we stepped out. I wanna share a story in 1 Samuel 13 and 14 about a father and a son that had vastly different approaches to risk-taking. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse, or chapter 14, rather, verse 2 says this. Saul was, on, was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron 
with him were about 600 men. So you got Saul here, knowing that the battle against the Philistines looms and draws closer and closer. What's he's doing? He, he's, he's scared to death sitting under a, a, a tree, you know, eating pomegranates. But look at the verse above that, verse 1. It says, One day Jonathan, son of Saul, said to the young men bearing his armor, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he didn't tell his father. So Jonathan, his dad, who's the leader, who's the man that stands head and shoulder above all the other people of Israel, that should have been on the front lines. He's sitting on the sidelines eating pomegranates out of fear. And Jonathan steps up and he says, God's going to use me to do something. And he's willing to take a risk. Saul was a sideliner, but Jonathan was a cliff climber. What do you want to be today? Let's look at the situation facing the Israelites. Three things mark their situation. Number one, they were hopelessly outnumbered. When they, when they looked against the Philistines that were coming against them, they were hopelessly outnumbered. First Samuel 13, verses five to seven, says about the, the, the Philistines that they had soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. How I many know that's a lot? You ever been to the seashore and ever try to count sand, grains of sand? I mean, these are multiplied hundreds of thousands of people coming against them. And, and the Philistines, it says later on in verse 15, they had about 600. So they're outnumbered. You got thousands upon thousands and 600 uh, Jews, and, and they're hopelessly outnumbered. But here's my point. The Lord is not nearly as bothered by the numbers as we are. We might look at the crowd today, and it's a good crowd, and we thank God for it. And I've met some people that I hadn't met before, and it's, you know, it's good to see that the church is growing. But we may say, well, there's 50, 60 people here today, and you'd like to receive an offering of two, three, four thousand $4,000 to help priority one building. The, the, don't you understand, Randy, the numbers are against us. We gave 800 last month, and that was great, but really don't expect anything much more than that because the numbers are against us. I want to tell you today, God is not nearly as concerned about the numbers or the lack of numbers as we are. In fact, there's a story that proves that in the Bible. <clears throat> in Judges chapter 7, the Lord says to Gideon, Gideon has already proven that he's afraid, and the Lord, but the Lord's hands upon him. See, it's okay to be afraid, because what, when God calls you to something, it's always something greater than yourself. It's always something greater than you could accomplish in your own strength. And God wanted to use Gideon to be a deliverer of God's people against the hand of the Midianites, but, but Gideon was afraid. And so, so the Lord says to him, here's what, here's what I want in Judges chapter seven. She says, you have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands in order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. He's saying, if, if you go out if I, if I let it be equal numbers, you'd boast that you did it in your own strength. Well, we're better, we were better than them. We outnumbered them. He's saying, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach you a lesson of faith. He said, I want you to decrease your numbers. And he said, stand up and say, anybody that's afraid, anybody that's afraid of the Midianites, you can go home. That'd be like a pastor standing up and saying, man, we're going to believe God for a few thousand dollars at the end of this service. And anybody that doesn't want to participate in that, anybody that's afraid and doesn't think we can do that, you can just go home now. No, no, no hard feelings. Just go home. And 
two-thirds of the church gets up and walks out. So they go from 32,000 down to uh, 10,000 or, or 22,000, and then, or whatever, I get my math mixed up. And, uh, and then the Lord says, you still have too many. So he gives them another little thing, takes them down to the river, gives them a little test, and, and another 10,000 flee, and he's left with 300 men. They were outnumbered at 32,000. Now they're down to 300, but God used those 300 to accomplish what the 32,000 never could have done in their own strength. See, stacked odds equal an opportunity for God. When the odds are stacked against you, that just means that God wants to do something great for you. And never let the never let numbers determine your vision. Never let numbers determine your vision. If you are not willing to obey with what you have, where you are, then you'll never start. I remember my first church, I may have talked to you about that before, in Porter, Indiana. The first Sunday I was there, we had we had uh, 19. Six months later, had it down to 11 where I could handle it. I mean, that's the truth. That's a true story. And the year before I arrived, the total giving of the church was $9,000. But we just started believing that we could do something, even though we were small, we could make a difference in missions for the kingdom of God. And so we started stepping out in faith. And three years later, we were giving over 9,000, which was our total income the year before, a couple of years before. We were giving over 9,000 to missions alone. Why? Because we were willing to take a step of faith. We were willing to step out on a perhaps. The Lord would say today, I believe this with all my heart, to, to Pastor BJ in particular and to Emmanuel as a church, don't despise the day of small beginnings. Just because you may not be a mega church doesn't mean you can't do mega things for God. Let me ask, what have you held back from doing because you felt outnumbered, because you felt like, see, I know that pastor has mentioned uh, maybe buying some land back here and, and, uh, and, and I, having pastored for 137 years now, I, Lincoln was president when I took my first church. That's how old I am. I know, I just know the nature of people. There's always going to be people going, well, we don't have the numbers to buy that. We don't, we can't do it. But God's not dependent on you. He's dependent on your faith to agree with what he can do, not what your numbers say you can do. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Rick, for being with me this morning. See, God's math is different than our math. God's math is different than our math. Deuteronomy chapter 32, 30. How could one man chase a thousand or two put 10,000 to flight unless their rocket sold them, unless the Lord had given them up? The Lord's saying, hey, it doesn't take hundreds. One or two can put thousands to flight. They were, uh, they were outnumbered. Secondly, they were not only outnumbered, they were under-resourced. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verses 19 to 20 tells us that the children, that the Philistines had uh, 3,000 chariots plus 6,000 charioteers, 3,000 chariots, two people in each chariot, and plus, remember, uh, soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. And, and Israel only had 600 men. And listen to this, amongst those 600 men, they only had two weapons, only two swords, because the Philistines had confiscated all the and, and enslaved all the blacksmiths, so there was no weapons left. 
only Saul, who's hiding under a tree, and Jonathan have swords. 598 other men are weaponless. I wonder how many cities have not been reached because the church sat back focusing on what we lack instead of on what we have. Well, we don't have, we don't have all the resources that the mega churches have. And you know, you're right. You're right. You don't. We don't have, we don't, but when you start looking at what you don't have instead of what you have, you're always going to give in to discouragement and fear. But look at what happened. The Lord used five loaves and two fish to feed a multitude. The Lord used a widow's oil and, a, and some meal to feed a prophet. He used some empty vessels in the Old Testament and filled them with water, with wine. And in the New Testament, he filled them with water. May God help us never to let the words come out of our mouth. We can't afford it. I want to declare today in faith that if that's the land God has for you, not only can you afford it, you can afford more than that. I believe that with all of my heart. You say, well, that's easy for you because next Sunday you'll be preaching somewhere else. This is something we lived over and over and over in our hundred and some years of ministry. God always takes what we give him. He'll never ask you for what you don't have, but he will ask you to place what you have into his hands because in your hands, it's insufficient, but in his hands, it's more than enough. So they were, out, they were uh, outnumbered, under-resourced, and thirdly, they were overcome by fear. They were overcome by fear. 1 Samuel 13, 6, when the men of Israel saw their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks. And in pits and cisterns, some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. Fear is the enemy's top weapon to paralyze us from doing what God wants us to do. Well, Lord, what if we try and we fail? I don't want to damage God's reputation. Wouldn't that look awful if we tried and we failed? But you're never going to step out. on God's never going to call you to something that is fail-proof. God is never going to, when Pastor Rick pastored in Henderson, they didn't have a mega church. They didn't have, they, they didn't have a church that, he was living in a city that was surrounded by Church of Christ people. <laughs> and we thank God for the Church of Christ and their love for the Lord. But, but there, were, there were all kinds of people that looked at First Assembly in Henderson as a non-entity, but he believed he could make a difference and he touched that city. You go to Henderson today and mention his name and people will smile with gladness and rejoice because of the effect that he had as they spent 20 years in that city. But not because he had the biggest church or not because they had the most finances, but because they were willing to step out in faith and not give in to fear. Well, well pastor, I, I, I'm just concerned that, that we, might, we might have bit off more than we can chew. Well, good. Because if you can chew it, God didn't give it to you. There's a verse for that somewhere. God, you know, David, 
David destroyed a Goliath, but he could have sat back and said, he's too big for me. I could never bring him down. But you know what? He knew that bites by bite, God could defeat that giant. And he took a small stone to defeat the incredible giant. And sometimes we just have to step out in faith. Well, I'm concerned. I just think we ought to be cautious. Here's what the Lord spoke to me this morning, sitting at my counter. Caution can be another word for fear. There's always people that say, well, we just, we just don't want to be foolish. Well, I understand that. Nobody wants to be foolish. You don't want to presume. You don't want to, you don't want to just dream something up yourself and do it. But there comes a time when you've got to throw caution to the wind and say, God put this in my heart and we're willing to step out regardless of the numbers, regardless of the resources, regardless of how many people are fearful, we're going to step out. Now let's look at the results of the story. You got, can I have five more minutes? If I can have five, let me see your hand. That's 10, 15, 20, 25. I, I got a bunch. Okay. That's an old preacher joke, and y'all fell for it. Okay. Let's look at this. 1 Samuel 14, 6. We read it at the beginning. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps, everybody say perhaps. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Three things that Jonathan did. Number one, Jonathan refused to follow the crowd in doing nothing. You know what? Silence and inaction is just as much a sin as sometimes going out and doing the wrong thing. And he refused. While all the other crowd, 598 are hiding, the others have all fled, and they're all hiding in a cave. And Jonathan says to his armor bearer, you know what? Let's go fight those Philistines. Perhaps the Lord will be with us. In verse 1, it says that he did not tell his father. You know, that's an interesting verse. You know why, why that's in there? I believe it's because we have to be careful who we share our vision with. We have to be careful who we share our vision. He didn't tell his, not tell his dad out of a lack of respect for his dad. He knew that if he told his dad, who was hiding in a cave for fear, that his dad would try to talk him out of it. Because that's what people that are very fearful do. Because when, when, when you step out in faith and you're willing to try, it shows them up for the fearful people that they are. And they don't want to hear that. Now, our last year in Jackson, which was in 2019, we're getting ready for the annual missions conference. And we announced a target offering for that year because we've done that now for 10 years. And, we, and it had grown each year. And so we announced a goal of 70000 for the cash offerings at the end of the mission, in addition to faith promises. And my wife, I can say this because she's not here, but no, she, she acknowledges, she, she, had, she struggled with that because it had been a bit of a tough year. My, during my transition time, they all knew that I was re retiring and, and uh, we had one or two that had kind of showed themselves a little bit ugly that year. And, and, and Nancy was a little bit nervous that that may be a bigger bite than we should have taken. And, uh, but what she didn't know was that in my heart, I had announced 70,000, but in my heart, I was praying for 100,000. And uh, I didn't share that with anybody except Pastor Drew, who is our youth pastor. Now, why did I not share that? 
because I didn't want anybody trying to talk me out of that. I didn't want anybody telling me all the reasons it couldn't be done. I just knew that in my heart for years, on my bucket list, and I hope you have a spiritual bucket list, and on my bucket list had been to give $100,000 in one service to missions. And uh, and it was a stretch, I mean, to go the year before we'd given 67 or something like that. And uh, and so we had, you know, said we're going to go for 70, but to stretch all the way to, I mean, it was, and I didn't tell her because, because not because I didn't want her to know, but because I, I didn't want to her to, to worry about it. Sometimes you just got to believe for things. And so I, I began to believe. And how many would like to hear how much came in that Sunday? Well, just sit around for another 35, 40, 50 minutes or whatever. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you, how many of you have ever given into the paralysis of analysis, allowing fear to paralyze you? You, send, you end up sitting back and doing nothing because you don't want to embarrass yourself or the Lord. I read this quote just a couple of weeks ago, and I put it in this message from Sir Edmund Hillary, the first one to climb Mount Everest. First, uh, uh, and he said this, if you need certainty to, be, certainty to begin, the things you begin will be small. Realize you can be confident and uncertain at the same time. Bravado is, is confident about everything. I believe if someone starts out on a challenging activity, completely confident that they're going to succeed, why bother starting? You know what he's saying? He's saying, I want to step out on a perhaps. I don't want to step out on just the safe things. I don't want to do just the things that can be explained. I don't want to, I don't want to live a mediocre life. I want to face the facts with faith. All right, the facts are we're outnumbered, we're under-resourced, people are afraid, but we're going to face those facts with faith. Romans chapter 4 verse 19 says this about Abraham, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's body was also dead. Um, Think about that. Abraham has been given the promise that they were going to have a son. Sarah, now he's a hundred years old. Sarah's getting there and, and he looks at himself and he goes, I'm not the man I used to be. And then he's either stupid or speaking by, by faith. He goes, and you ain't the woman you used to be either. He faces the fact it's impossible. What was impossible when it began as a dream is even more impossible now. But he faced the fact with faith. And I've come here today believing that through this generosity of this congregation, you can make a difference in Tanzania. You can join with other churches from across this state and make a difference and help build a church planning school. Jonathan says this, Jonathan says this, 1 Samuel 14, 6, you said you've already read it twice. Well, I'm going to read it one more time. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps, perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. You hear that word, perhaps? What do you think the young armor bearer must have been thinking? Perhaps, are you kidding me, Jonathan? Perhaps, you better give me a thus saith the Lord. You better tell me the Lord appeared to you and spoke in an audible voice last night and wrote it on the wall somewhere. If you want me to go with you, you better have more than a perhaps. But that's all he had. 
was a perhaps. And Jonathan's armor bearer is really the unsung hero in this story because we don't even know his name. But you know what he said his response was? His response was, I am with you, heart and soul. He's saying, if you're going to go die, then I'm going to go die with you. If you're going to go succeed, then I'm going to go succeed with you. And that's what I pray that everyone in this church would say to Pastor BJ and the leadership of this church, man, if you believe we can buy that land, then we're with you. If you believe that's what God's saying, then we're with you. If you believe that we can make a difference in Tanzania and help build a school, then we're with you. We are not going to sit back and let the facts dictate our faith. We're going to face the facts with faith. Amen. I'm doing better preaching than y'all are shouting right now. For sure, we need wisdom, but we also need to be courageous. We need to be courageous. We need to be like the three Hebrew children who said to the king, our God is able, and even if he doesn't deliver us, we're not going to give up and we're not going to give in to you because we know he's able. Jonathan dared to dream a big dream. Never let the facts get in the way of your dreams. Never let the facts get in the way of your dreams. David went to take his brother some bread and cheese and found a similar situation. Saul and his men in their tents afraid. Isn't that interesting that most of the time you see Saul in battle, he's, in, he's hiding somewhere. He's afraid. And, J and David sees that, and he, and he sees giant, the giant Goliath come out and challenge his people. And when he hears this nine-foot giant challenging his people, something stirs in his heart. Not fear, but faith. And he recognizes that God is with him. And so he stands and he says, look, I'm going to, today, God's going to deliver you into my hand. For the battle is not mine. The battle is the Lord's. And David goes out and destroys the giant with nothing but a rock and a sling. In 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 3 and 4, there were four men with leprosy at the tent, at, of the, at the entrance of the city gate. And there was, their situation was desperate. Inside the city was famine and drought. Outside, they were surrounded by the enemy's armies. And they looked at each other and they said, why do we just sit here until we die? You know, that's the sad part of what I see in a lot of churches today. After COVID, they're just sitting there waiting to die. Well, before COVID, we had hope, but now things just haven't ever got back to where they were. And, and now, and we're just, we're, I had one time when I served with Pastor Eddie as the assistant superintendent of, of this district here, a man came into our office and we asked him, we asked him, and said, how long do you see yourself staying at the church? And you know what this guy said? He said, until the money runs out. And it was the hardest thing. I thought Eddie had, he was going to have to hold me back because I was about ready to shoot that guy until God, he died. Because that's, somebody with that attitude ought to be shot in Jesus' name. Of course, I mean that lovingly. I mean that very compassionately, okay? All right. If that's our attitude, why even live? You know, why sit here? We, you know, why do we, why, why just accept defeat? You say, well, you're believing for, I'll tell you what I'm believing for today. And because I don't get a penny of this, not a penny comes to me. And so I'm believing for $3,000 to go to help build a church planning school. Say, well, we've never done that. That's the point. 
I mean, if you're only willing to believe God for what you've already done, that's not faith, that's history. There comes a time when you've got to step out and say, God, we're going to believe you for something more. You say, but look, there's not that many people. You know what? I don't know you. I don't know your pocketbooks. I don't know your livelihood. I don't know, you know, but here's what I know. If God puts something in your heart, when you step out, God has a supernatural way of doing it. One time when we had been at Northside there in Jackson for six, seven years, we'd had our first tornado. We had three major tornadoes come through in the 26 years we pastored there. And the first one had come through, killed 11 people. It was devastating. And uh, we had a missionary. I don't even remember the missionary. But he, he, he just said in passing, maybe somebody could help us build a village church in Africa today. It would cost $10,000. And we maybe had 200 people sitting there. And I got up and I said, I don't know that, um, that you know, in the natural, that we'd never taken an offering like that. I said, but there may be somebody sitting here today that could write a check. But all of us can do something. And I said, if we'll just do what we can, God will do the rest. And so, so the people gave, and uh, they gave two or $3,000, which was a great offering at that time. But there's this guy in his mid-20s that had never been in our church before, came up to me, kind of waited until everybody had gone, and he came up to me at the door, and he said, are you going to be here for a few minutes? I said, well, I was getting ready to go to lunch, and you never want to get in front of a fat man going to lunch, you know, and, and uh, I said, but what do you need? He said, well, I need to go to my hotel, and, but I'll be back, and he said, maybe 15 minutes. I said, well, I'll wait for you. And this kid, 25 years old, he was a construction guy that had come into town to work on so many roofs had been damaged. And uh, he came and he came back and he, and he handed me a folded check. And when you get those checks, people hand them, you never know as a pastor. You don't know, should I look at this? Because you don't want to be disappointed if it's like a dollar or whatever. And you don't want to be, you know, shocked. I mean, so I I said, well, thank you. He said, I want this to go to that missionary. I said, every penny will go to the missionary. And then the kid left, never saw him again. As far as I know, that was the only time he was ever in our church. When I opened that check, it was for $10,000 to build a church in that village. So you never know what God can do. You never know what God can do when you step out in faith. And Jonathan, instead of focusing on their lack of resources, Instead of focusing on their lack of numbers, Jonathan chose to focus on the greatness of God, not the desperation of the hour. Listen to what he says. The end of verse six. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. He's saying, look, I know, I know we don't have a lot. There's just two of us. There's just two of us. And I don't know if God's in this or not. But I know if God's in it, nothing can stop him. Nothing can stop him. He's the God who makes seas into highways, who turns, what is it, bones into armies. You know, I mean, it's just amazing what, what will happen. Joshua chapter 1, verse 7 says, Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law of my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. What does your current giving, I'm talking about individuals now, what does your current giving say about the reality of your faith? 
If God speaks to you and says, hey, you need to give your tithe to the local church, that's where that belongs. But today I'm asking you to give an extra $20. Or today I'm asking you to give an extra 200. Or there may be someone and God says, I'm asking you today to step out in faith and do something you've never done before and to give an extra 2,000. Are you willing to step out on a perhaps and trust God to do what God can only do? Look at the results of the story. I'm getting ready to close. Don't get too excited. It's a long close. <laughs> the results of the story. None and one. Jonathan used his faith to do what he could do. First Samuel chapter 14, verse 13 and 14. He and his armor bearer climb up, hands, uh, you know, uh, using hands and feet. And when they get up there, they kill in the space of an acre. They kill 20 Philistines. They only have one sword. I don't know which one got to use it, but they kill 20. The two people killed 20. Isn't that amazing? I'm telling you, you have more potential in you than you ever dreamed of. God wants to accomplish things through you that you never thought could be accomplished if you'll just step out in faith. They used their faith to do what God had called, and it was pretty amazing. But then look what happens. When they used their faith to do what God, what, what they could do, God stepped up and did the impossible. God stepped up and did the impossible. Verse 15, then panic struck the whole army, those in the camp and field and those in the outposts and raiding parties, and the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. Then Saul and his men assembled and went to the battle. They found the Philistines in total confusion, striking each other with their swords. Notice that it was not until Jonathan and his unnamed armor bearer took a step of faith that God sent an earthquake and a panic. And I love what it says. It was a panic that was sent for God. God will not do what we can do, and we cannot do what only God can do. But if we'll do what we can, God will step up and step out. I challenge you to give God a chance to do something great through you, not just today, but in your lifetime. See, the, 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 uh, let me just share with you the project. Can I, can I share that real quickly? So I, Two, two and a half years ago, when we retired from Northside, uh, our plan, notice anybody ever have plans? <laughs> our plan was that we were going to go do missions probably six months out of the year, and we were going to do it in international churches in Europe. We had it planned. We were going to go spend two months in the Canary Islands filling in for a pastor. Hey, if you're going to do missions, why not the Canary Islands? Those people need Jesus, you know? Who cares if they have the prettiest beaches around? And we were going to do two months in Brussels, Belgium. You might as well go where there's chocolate, you know. And then we had a, we had a trip planned to Uruguay, and there's not much there. But I love that place. I've been there 25 times. And, and so we, we resigned. Uh, we leave our church December 15th, our last service. New pastor takes over. And two, two three months later, COVID. COVID, that's like saying a cuss word, isn't it? COVIDs, and, and we haven't been on a mission trip since. And our plans were interrupted. Now, I'm going on one at the end of April to Burkina Faso, which is, doesn't have chocolate or beaches. <laughs> just has a lot of Muslim people. But we've built a Bible school there at the ministry, and we're going to go preach there. And, uh, and so I was kind of, I was like some of you, I just sat there. I had moved, I moved from a town that I loved and spent 26 and a half years in. I knew everybody, everybody knew me. And, and, uh, I moved to Knoxville, which seemed like a mega, mega metropolis at the time. 
because we didn't know anybody but our grandbabies and our daughter and son-in-law. And we're shut down. And I'm getting a little depressed, to be honest. But God had other plans. When your plans fail, his plans will prevail if you'll just keep looking. Somebody needs to hear that today. My plans failed miserably. They still haven't come to pass. Whether I ever go to Europe again or not is not up to me. It's up to God. But God had another plan. First of all, he opened up us the opportunity to go to uh, uh, Cookville area to serve as an interim pastor in a church that had been devastated with two splits and with COVID and with another tornado that had killed 21 local residents. And God, God allowed us the privilege of spending four months there. And it, and it did an amazing thing in our heart. We got so much more out of it than we were able to give. But, they, but God used that. And he used missions to do it. He used missions. I went to the board after we'd been there a few weeks. And I said, this church needs a win. They've had so many defeats in the past seven months. We, we need a win. And, and I, I said, we need to do something for missions. And they said, what do you want to do? I said, you set a goal. You pick, uh, 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 you know, someone to give it to. It's your church. And then, so they set a goal of $25,000 to be divided between uh, a local crisis pregnancy center and a girl's home in Mexico. And so I preached. I preached the next week. I preached this message leading up to it. And, and then I preached the perhaps partner's message. And then I preached on perhaps giving. And we took the offering three weeks later. And $106,000 came in. $106,000 came in. And it completely, radically, it caused them to get their eyes off what they lacked and what they were going through to put their eyes back on who was the provider and what he had called them to do. And that church is strong and healthy today. God, God, anyhow, anyhow, I didn't mean to share all that. But anyhow, a, a year ago, this, this summer will be a year, probably in July, don't remember the exact date, that I'm having lunch with a pastor, Andrew Templeton from Sweetwater, and he just mentions to me that, that uh, he's having lunch with Sam Johnson the next week. And I go, the Sam Johnson? He goes, well, I don't know. He's, He's got, he's got a mission, missions group that builds Bible colleges around. I go, that's the Sam Johnson. I said, I heard him as a freshman at Bible college. He preached, now faith is. He's still preaching the same message 50 years later. And uh, I said, I love him. I said, can I, I just invited myself to crash their lunch. And, and, uh, and I got to, got to be around Sam again. Who knew? He had moved to Alcoa. We had no idea. He'd moved from Minnesota where he based his ministry for 20 years to Alcoa. Good move on his part. And, uh, and so we go to lunch and uh, we're having Chi Alpha to our house the next week, all the leaders of Chi Alpha for lunch. And I said, why don't you come and share with them or rather for breakfast? So he comes and, you know, there's like a dozen of them that come and, and they get there at nine. They don't leave till 1230 because he's pouring into them. And then he blesses each one of them with $1,000 for their mission to, to, uh, to the university. And, I mean, and, and we just got connected. And then he, started, then he asked me a couple months later, he said, I've done my homework on you. Would you come work with us? Would you come help us raise funds in Tennessee? Because hardly anybody knows him in Tennessee. And so here's Sam Johnson, he's 82. He spent 
many, many years as an appointed missionary with the Assemblies of God World Missions. And then he was in Spain and in Portugal. He built Bible schools in both of those countries where they'd never had Bible schools before. And at the age of 62, Poppy told me today he retired at, was it 62? At 62. And at the age when many are thinking about retirement, Sam Johnson left AGWM and went on his own and started Priority One Missions. And over the last 20 years, they built in over 50 different nations of the world. And so when he asked me to come on, he's going to preach at our state convention for the Assemblies of God Pastors. Hopefully, uh, the Shockies can be there. And uh, and we're going to challenge the church, all the churches of Tennessee, to raise $300,000 together to build four church planting schools in Tanzania. Now, in Tanzania, in the last 10 years, they built 10,000 churches. When you think the Assemblies God in the U.S. have just over 12,000 churches, and in 10 years, they built over 10,000 churches, and you think that would be, they'd be happy with that, but they set a goal in the next 13 years to build 30,000 more churches. It blows my mind. And part of that plan is to establish church planting schools, 70 some of them around the country, where people can come and for five months they can be trained on how to go and plant a church. And Sam Johnson has agreed to help build 36 of those through Priority One. And that's several million dollars. Somebody do the math, 75 times 36, it's over three. And I mean, he just stepped out on it perhaps. But here's the incredible news. God has already sent, anybody ever shop at Hobby Lobby? Thank you. Keep shopping there. Because David Green, the owner of Hobby Lobby, wrote a check for $1.5 million to help us build those 36 schools. And, and so the Tennessee district said, we'll take four of them. Now, we $75,000, I don't know if you showed the picture. Here's some of the graduates. But $75,000 helps, it builds one building and then puts the structure up for the other four buildings. Puts the, can we show that steel structure or if you have that there, you can get to it. And then the Tanzanian Assemblies of God come in and they invest another $125,000 to finish the schools. That's the finished product right there. So, so we're not giving them a handout, we're offering them a hand up. We're saying, we will help you fulfill your vision. We're not going to fulfill it for you. Now, here's the incredible news. We stepped out on a perhaps, met with Pastor Terry Bailey, district superintendent, and Randall McCarty, the assistant, and we set this goal for 200. And I'm sitting there thinking, there's no way we can ever do that. And so what did I do? I suggested we raise it to 300,000 <laughs> and build four. But here's the incredible news. Already, Already, we have over $173,000 pledged and committed out of that $300,000. That means today, you're going to help the rest of the Assemblies of God in Tennessee build that that remaining 127. Somebody do the math. 120. Thank you. You're an engineer. You got the math now. 127,000. You say, well, we can't do that. You're right. You probably can't. But you can do whatever you can do. And that's all we're asking for today. Oh, by the way, that last offering as pastor at Northside, the last Sunday of our last missions convention before I retired, we shot for 70. They counted the offering. The new pastor was there and 
I had him take the offering that morning. He said, well, give me some stories. Help me, help me know how to, I said, you don't even have to. So all you have to do is stand up and say, we're gonna pass the plates. Let's see what God does. And so that's what he did. And it got so exciting. When they counted the offering, it was $67,000. So he's super ecstatic because he's never seen anything like that. What he didn't know was 25,000 had already been given. And what he didn't know was that night during the banquet when we announced the total, another several thousand, the total came to $106,000. Can somebody shout? And I just looked at my wife and go, (laughs) no, I didn't because I wanted to still be able to live with her when we retired. So I didn't do that. I didn't do that. How many know God will give you the dreams of your heart if you'll dream his dreams? I dreamed for years to be able to do that. Now I've seen it twice, twice, once at Trinity and once in Northside, over 106. So what am I dreaming for now? I'm I'm telling you what I'm dreaming. I'm dreaming for one offering of a half million dollars. Say, you're an old man. You're you're gonna, yeah, I am, I'm old, I'll admit that. I'm 69 and a half. And and, uh, I, I don't think... Uh, you know, I, it, it couldn't happen in the natural for 100000 but it happened twice. We gave just under $5 million during my time as pastor at Northside. And now when I was ready to quit, when I, was, when I thought the Lord had given up on me, he birthed a dream to raise another $5 million for missions. And God, you say, is it going to happen? Perhaps. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give my life trying to see it happen. And if it does, all glory to God. And if it doesn't, all glory to God for what did happen. Amen? So here's what I want you to do. Hopefully you've already prayed. But I want you to stretch your faith today. I want you to stretch your faith and to listen. Now here's, I know most people, when when the preacher says, all right, let's pray about what God would have us give, most have already settled something in their heart. I understand that. That's... That's the way we give by reason when God wants us to give by revelation. And what I mean by that reason is, well, here's where I am. Here's what I can afford to give right now and and still be okay. Revelation says, God, what do you want me to believe you for? Can I share one more story? Nancy's not home. I don't have any plans. I, I got all day. Tennessee's not in the women's championship today, so we can... We can go on. But two years ago at our state minister's meeting up in Pigeon Forge, uh, Pastor Terry, the superintendent, introduced, I think there were 12, 13 missionaries. And he said, now we need to get behind them and support them. And then, then that's all he said. And something stirred in my heart. And so I walked up. If I'd have been pastor, I don't know what I would have done. But I walked up to the side and got Terry's attention and said, can I say something? And he said, come on, Randy wants, he knows me. So, you know, he trusts me. And I got up and I said, Terry just challenged us to help these guys and nobody's done anything. We need to, we need to put some money where our mouth is right now. So I want you to, if you're going to play, if you're going to help, and I, do you remember this? I don't know if you were there or not. And, and I had pastor stand and several of them, many, you know, there's a lot of dollars raised that night. Some of them just stood and never did anything. But, you know, that's between them and the Lord. 
And it was a good night. And the missionaries all hugging me and everything. They, they thought, well, I go back to my seat and the Lord spoke to me. This is the day after our convention where we raised 106000 in cash, where we took faith promises. And for the first time in my memory, I didn't make a faith promise because I'm not going to be there. I'm, I'm retiring, so I'm not going to promise something that I'm not going to do. And, and so the Lord says, you didn't make a promise. I want you to promise these missionaries. And so I walk back up to the front. I've never done this ever in my life. It's embarrassing. And Terry goes, I guess he's not done or something. I don't know. So he lets me come up and I said, you know, I, 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 God told me I need to do something. And so we pledged $500 a month above our tithe. He said, wait, and I'm going, Nancy's, I hadn't even talked about this with Nancy. And we're retiring and we're going to be on a fixed income. And that's not reason, that's revelation or stupidity, one of the two. But she said, if that's what God put in your heart, do it. And so we did. And I want to tell you, we have never missed one month giving more than that. This year, we added a $7,500 pledge ourselves to help build church planning schools in Tanzania. And God's already helping us. We're not there, but we're already on our way. What I'm saying is, if you'll just say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, and give what he asked you to give. So some of you say, well, man, you know, I don't have my checkbook with me or whatever. You can tell Pastor BJ or whatever what your intentions are, and he'll take care of that. Just step out in faith. I'm not at, you know, it sounds like this after I preached on giving now for the last hour and a half. For me to make this statement, it sounds crazy, but it's it doesn't matter. I'm not asking you to do it for me because I don't get a penny of it. I'm asking you to do it for the people of Tanzania, for those 30,000 churches that are yet to be started. They can't be started unless there's a young person. I say young, it could be whoever God calls, a young man, a young woman, old man, old woman, to plant, but they got to be trained. And you can step up today and say, we're going to do it. Father, thank you for your word. What a privilege to give today, Lord, and to know that our giving today will make a difference in the nation of Tanzania. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you, Pastor Andy. Let's show him our appreciation. I love that challenging word. I, I, I preached one time, I think, in the beginning of the year about, you know, bringing some of the militancy back to to, to church, you know, worship militantly, give militantly, love militantly, right? And I, I like the challenge. I like the challenge. You know, one of the, the biggest needs that Emmanuel is facing now and in the, in the near future would be property and land, a, a little more room, right? So what an opportunity to help somebody else with their need for building, for land, for room. Amen. Can, can, as the ushers come forward, could you put that first picture back up, Kenneth? This, this kind of motivated me when I saw this. Each one of those, those men there, they're graduating. Each one of those men are going to go and they're going to start a church. You're not just looking at a, 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 you're not just looking at a small group of students. You're looking at how many churches is that? 12, 15 churches, right? Churches reaching who knows how many. 30,000, did you say how many churches did you say? 30, that's 
30,000 churches. Praise God. So uh, I just uh, encourage you and uh, let's just give what's in your heart. You know, the, the, the scripture we read all the time, let each one, you know, give what's in his heart to give. Don't limit it by your head. Amen. <laughs> give what's in your heart. And so we are going to go ahead and take up both our, our regular tithes and offerings as well as a special offering for priority one. And uh, we have the envelopes. If you are not prepared to give, but you want to be in on this offering and give to this, uh, go ahead and just use this as a, a, a pledge card, if you will. Just put down how much you would like to give, write pledge next to it. And that way we'll know that when you can give, if you can bring a check or however you want to do it next week, we would be glad to make sure it's included in this. And um, also there's other ways to give uh, online, of course. Go to our website, www.emmanuelag.com, and you can click online giving, and you can give online. And of course, um, if you would be giving in cash and you need us to uh, keep track of it, to give you credit for it, um, go ahead and fill out the information on the envelope. So with that, we're going to take up the offering and see if perhaps <laughs> what God will do. Amen. Father God, we do love you and we thank you for this opportunity and this privilege to partner with what you're doing, not just here in Knoxville, but with Priority One and their work all over the world. Specifically, this offering today will be going to these Bible schools in Tanzania. Father God, I ask that you would bless this offering, bless those who are able to give, bless those whose hearts are with this ministry. Father God, multiply it back to them so that that verse will be true in our lives, Lord, that we have exceedingly abundantly above all that, that we need so that we, can, that we can give to every good thing. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.